Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace and mercy. Uh, you owe us nothing, we deserve nothing, but we thank you for making us children of God through your Son. And we thank you for having this plan for us and this journey and your wisdom available to those who want it. And Father, we do want it, that's why we're here. We're asking for understanding and wisdom. Father, most of all, help us to always be grateful, especially for your Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price so that we could be set free eternally and live with you forever. Father, we also pray for those in our congregation who are sick and are struggling. Please comfort them as only you can, and you know what each person needs and we trust in your timing as well. We ask, Father, that you bless this message, guide us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. All right, our Attitude Towards Wisdom, Part 5. Today will be the wrap-up of this subject. Um, we're going to try to wrap it up. We'll see what, what pastor comes up, what the Spirit gives pastor on Sunday as well. But we're going to jump right in. And just to say, by God's grace, hopefully by now, at this point in the series, we have a much better idea today about how we should look at wisdom, how we should view wisdom, and who wisdom actually is. This was a point that came out on Tuesday on the board our attitude towards wisdom. Our attitude towards God's wisdom is our attitude towards God. The Bible says they're actually one and the same. And by the way, He's the treasure. He's the one we're actually seeking. Ephesians 3, 8 through 12, for example, and 1 Corinthians 1, 24, part C, says Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I love how there's not even a verb in that phrase. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He is. So again, our attitude towards God's wisdom is our attitude towards God himself. I'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3, verse 8, as we get going here. He's actually the treasure. It's his mind that we're after. It's his mind that the Word of God and the Spirit of God reveal. It's in Him where all the riches are found, as we're going to see here. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Notice the riches are of Christ. We've been talking a lot about riches and wealth and what that what it really is, the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. We've also been talking about how the Bible says we should be searching for wisdom as though it's treasure, like if you went on a treasure hunt. And notice that word hidden. It has been hidden in God, who created all things. 
so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. You see how it's all about him? Even wisdom itself, he is. And that's really what a search for wisdom is all about. Um, the Spirit's been kind of dovetailing that into this series on our attitude towards wisdom. The Spirit also interjected something on Sunday to remind us to stay humble and that we can't even learn the things of God without Him. We can't understand the things of God without Him. On the board, again, our attitude towards wisdom. Today we have God's Word in written form, at least what He wants us to discover. But even then, we mustn't get arrogant. It's up to the sovereign Spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. Period. We must never forget that. If you go into the Bible with the wrong attitude and you say, I'm going to memorize this thing, and your attitude isn't one of humble-seeking him, it's more like an arrogant, puffed-up approach to knowledge, you're not going to understand God. God's not going to reveal his wisdom to you. You might memorize the whole Bible like Satan has. You're not going to understand the things of God. Only the sovereign spirit can allow us to do that, to comprehend spiritual things, which are supernatural. Amen? I mean, supernatural, folks. The minute we get a little bit arrogant and puffed up, you might as well close your Bible, you know, and repent and humble yourself before the Lord, then open it back up. So this is where the right and proper fear of God comes in. He is sovereign. He is in control. And nothing comes to us except through Him. For us to actually understand the Word of God is granted by God alone. And just think of the word understand for a minute. That's been hitting me a lot this week. Understand is a big word. It means to really get it. And, for example, someone can memorize a math formula. Someone can memorize how to do algebra, but not really understand it. If they were asked to explain it, they couldn't explain it, how it works, why it works that way. That's understanding. And that's what God wants us to have. Not just some kind of a book knowledge, but knowing Him. Knowing His Spirit. And actually understanding anything about God is the monopoly of the Spirit. Again, one of our main points has been on the board, key considerations in your soul. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? How often do you pray for wisdom? Two really important questions. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? Hopefully, all of our perspectives have changed some in this area over the last week. And how often do you pray for wisdom? Hopefully more. And then we had regarding uh, Proverbs 2, that passage, verse 4 and 5 and verse 11 in particular. If we invest in God's wisdom, it will actually protect us and reveal to us the things of God. So when we possess God's wisdom, 
we also possess things like joy. For example, joy in knowing he's protecting us. What, what greater peace is there or joy is there than that? Knowing he has our back, is covering us. The book of Psalms talks about him being a shield to those who follow him. There's a joy in that, isn't there? A peace, a contentment, a confidence. And there's also joy in this world that we can hold on to despite the trials that come. It cuts right through the details of life. Being eternally saved from death, all other things pale in comparison. And that's the perspective we must hold on to every day we wake up and every day we go to sleep. Eternally saved from death. If we go about life holding on to this true perspective, we can't help but be happy and grateful. And we won't really care about the other details of our lives. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, we've seen that a couple times. In other words, we should be on cloud nine all the time. Not necessarily like a jumping up and down joy, but this level of supernatural peace because of this fact that God has saved us and won't let us go. So what we're talking about with the point on the board again is being truly anxious about things in, in this life or distraught about things that happen to us in the world. It's not where God wants us to be. It's not the right perspective. We're missing something. Some, a lie has snuck into our souls and had us lose our peace and familiarity with God's blessings, particularly the gift of eternal life. That can make us bitter and fearful and have us lose our joy. Turn again in your Bibles to James 3, verse 13. James 3, 13. James gave us a good side-by-side -side comparison of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. What do these things look like? What are the characteristics? Well, one of the characteristics of the worldly wisdom is the bitterness part. Uh, selfishness. Look at James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that's a great passage to go to, to do that side-by-side -side comparison and understanding what wisdom looks like. And the question came out on Tuesday, which one of these descriptions are you habitually in? Do you need to repent towards God? 
because your habit, your lifestyle has been one of bitter familiarity, selfishness. There's no time like the present, by the way. So as we all struggle with these things from time to time, falling back into our old ways of thinking at times, here's a couple more que- uh, <laughs> That's cool, huh? Que- That's a cool word. A couple more key considerations in our souls. Why don't we ask God for spiritual things? And why is asking for wisdom closer to the bottom of our list than the top? If it is. I don't know. It's between each of us and God. But I know our human tendency, our fleshly tendency, is to ask God for material things, uh, solutions to problems in life, right? Our day-to-day life. Father, get this person out of my life, (laughs) right? Uh, Selfishly, we kind of emotionally jump towards these requests to God. Father, fix my bank account. Fix my job. Get me a new job. I can't take it anymore. Those are all selfish, personal things, material things. Why don't we ask God for spiritual things like wisdom? So then the Spirit gave us this test to see if we know what's most important to our Lord on the board. God's after our hearts. Knowing and loving God is of far greater importance to God than the sacrifices we make. As in Mark 12, 28 through 34. It's not even close. Not even close. I mean, if you have children, think of your children. What would you prefer? That they do their chores on time and not love you? (laughs) Or that they love you first and then hopefully do their chores on time? Like, what's their motivation, right? As a parent, you know what you want. And so think of God our Father. Knowing and loving God is of far greater importance to God than the sacrifices we make. And as came out on Tuesday, we need to allow God to break us down, to willingly be brought low by the overwhelming nature of his love. His love is unfathomable, right? We just read about the unfathomable riches of Christ. The primary riches of Christ is the love of Christ, right? So we have to um, ask God for understanding of the overwhelming nature of his love. Because the more we understand his love, the more we're going to understand him and how he wants us to look at things. God has allowed us this past week to see the real-life example of King Solomon. And he's an example to us of this attitude, this attitude that the Lord wants to see in our hearts. Something we can't force, we can't fabricate. We can't force it by an effort of human will. Only the Spirit of God can give it to us. And that only comes through humility. He wants Solomon's attitude to flow in our hearts. And may we remember God's willingness to do this for all who ask him in faith. Again on the board, James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
So when's the last time you personally asked God for wisdom and understanding? We see from James here that God is eager to share his mind and his heart with us. That's another thing that should blow your mind. God is actually eager to share, to let us in, to show us his mind and heart on matters of life and death, everything. He's actually eager. Look, look at this verse again. He gives to all generously and without reproach. But of course, we must ask in faith. So here's a summary statement of Solomon's humble request before God as we finish up a little review here. Second Chronicles 1.10 Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? Solomon had his priorities right. He wisely sought wisdom above all else. Remember, God asked him, what do you want? Ask, what do you want? He could have asked for riches, wealth, health, long life, physical strength. The ability to build more buildings. But he asked for wisdom. Why? Because he simply had a heart for God. So the search for wisdom is actually a search for the heart of our Lord, if you think about it. That one day we might possess it and truly understand his thoughts and affections and motivation. Isn't that like, that should be a desire of ours. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you want to know what makes him tick? Like, you know, and what I mean is he was motivated to go to the cross and he could have backed out if he really wanted to. What motivated him to go all the way to the cross? That love is unspeakable, unfathomable. Wouldn't it be wonderful to understand his affections, his motivation, his love? That's what God has in store for us, those who seek him. So this is all found in the person of Jesus Christ. On the board, here's what Jesus said to the religious people, John 5, 39 through 40 in the Living Bible. You search the scriptures, for you believe that they give you eternal life. And the scriptures point to me. Yet you won't come to me so that I can give you this life eternal. And in the Message Bible, it says you have your heads and your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. Is it a bad thing to have your heads and your Bibles constantly? Not necessarily, but it depends on your motivation. What are you trying to get out of it? Are you trying to get out of it personal gain or are you trying to Find him in it. Jesus said, you missed the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. In the attitude of our hearts, we should actually be seeking his person. And we saw another real-life example of this attitude in two of our Lord's first disciples. So turn again in your Bibles to John 1, 35. 
John 1.35. God gave us a lot of uh, real life examples in the Bible to learn from and follow, follow the examples of positive believers. John 1.35, again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So the Lord tested the desires of their hearts. This is what we talked about on Tuesday. He tested the desire of their hearts when he said, What do you seek? They wisely answered it that it was he that they sought. These men had a sincere desire to know and follow the Messiah, their Savior. So as we wrap up this series on our attitude towards wisdom, let's just correlate some scriptures and keep the search for wisdom in your mind. Okay, keep, keep our topic in your mind as we correlate a couple of the scriptures and bring things in and see what the Spirit reveals to you. We saw the parables earlier that when a man seeks and then finds a pearl of great value that he was looking for or the treasure he was looking for, his attitude changes. So much so that he's willing to sell whatever he has to gain this treasure. He was seeking, he found, and his heart was changed. We're also told if we seek with all our heart, we will find him. That's a promise from the Lord. We're also told we must strive to enter the narrow gate. And few are those that actually find it. I mean, turn in your Bibles to Luke 13, 22. Luke 13, 22. Not everyone strives to enter the narrow gate like Jesus said. They're not really willing. And as a result, they don't really find the way in. Again, it's how we seek that determines what we find. God is after the heart. Look at Luke 13, 22. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So this goes to our point that many people claim to seek God, but because they don't do so with a humble heart, they will not be able to enter. They don't really want Christ. They want what God can give them. They hold on to ulterior motives, and they're unwilling to deny their self-life to truly find Him, the Savior, the treasure of eternity. On the board, look what David said in Psalm 5-7. And again, just kind of synthesize these things together. 
he's putting some different scriptures together. Psalm 5-7. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow down in reverence for you. Those who humble themselves before the Lord and seek the Christ will be able to enter God's house. But those who don't won't be able to enter in Jesus' words. And in our daily journey, we find true wisdom in this humble attitude that David portrayed towards the Lord, again on the board. He said, But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. Hopefully you see his attitude, which again is what God is after, the attitude of our hearts. So on the board, our attitude towards wisdom and knowing God. God is after the heart of man, and he graciously gives his wisdom to those who seek him in the fear of the Lord. Excuse me. As both David and Solomon did. And love for God must be the motivation. If that message didn't come out in our first few lessons in this series, I'm not sure what did. Again, God is after the heart of man, and he graciously gives his wisdom to those who seek him in the fear of the Lord, as both David and Solomon did. And love for God must be the motivation as came out recently in our lessons, how we seek the Lord will determine what we end up finding. So for another example, let's synthesize the following verses on the board. Seek and you will find. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Any questions? It's very clear, right? Very direct. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Hebrews eleven six and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek So by now, we should know what seeking looks like. It's more like a hunt for treasure than a stroll in the park, safe to say. Consider our previous lessons. So what do you say in your heart about finding the wisdom of God? Has that changed even over the last few lessons? Or have you just been, you know, tuning the spirit out? Right now, you and I only have a small piece of God's wisdom. And it's infinite. It's endless. So what's your attitude about finding or discovering the, the wisdom of God, the treasures of God, who really is Christ himself? And do you believe it's better than the finest gold, than all the riches you could Obtained in this world. 
Only you can answer that. Do you believe like the Bible tells us that wisdom is the source of true happiness? The world would tell us otherwise in a million different ways. But it's a big lie. It's a big scam. It's a big deceit. We've been deceived since childhood through the media and through what the world says we should be like or should do or should gain or how we should think, what's important, what riches look like. So it takes a lot to get all that garbage out of our soul. But the Bible tells us wisdom is the true source of happiness. You want to be happy? Gain God's wisdom. So we'll see what wisdom has to say about that at the end of our message today. Let's first learn from the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba traveled a long distance to visit the King of Israel, whom she had heard had tremendous wisdom. She actually admitted she didn't believe what she heard about Solomon. So she traveled many miles to see it for herself. Seek and you will find, right? Maybe she didn't even really know what she was seeking, but she was willing. And as we know, that's a huge key. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 10, verse 1. 1 Kings 10, 1. We've already read about Solomon and his request for wisdom and how God granted it to him and, and much more with that because his heart was right. But now we come chapters later to the Queen of Sheba. And before we read this, just note that God showed her the tremendous spiritual, supernatural wisdom that he gave to a man who loved him and was willing to serve him. God revealed it to her because she was humbly seeking. 1 Kings 10, verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Notice the queen was struggling in her heart with the difficulties of life. Her riches didn't make her happy or content. She needed answers and that only comes from God's wisdom. So in verse 3, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land, about your words and your wisdom. So here in front of her, think about this, is the richest man to ever live on earth. And the first thing she notices about him is his words and his wisdom. The most astonishing thing about him was his words and his wisdom. 
That's pretty uh, impressive to think about when you think that this man lived in a castle and everything was made out of gold, even the utensils. And instead of that blowing her away, it was his words and his wisdom. Verse 7, she says, Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So notice all these references to wisdom the queen makes over and over. You know when a rich person that really does have immeasurable wealth, when they're seeking wisdom to find happiness, you know that wealth doesn't make you happy. Here's another example in the Queen of Sheba. The wealth didn't satisfy her. She was still struggling with difficulties in her heart. May we get that through our thick skull so we stop chasing wealth, right? And the love of money, which results in the root of all evil. Let's believe her example, among many examples in the world that we have. So look at verse 10. She was apparently grateful because she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Also the ships of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir a, a very great number of almug trees and precious stones. Do you remember in Job 28, when we read Job's chapter about seeking wisdom, where Job mentioned the gold of Ophir? The same name, the same place and how it doesn't even compare to wisdom. But the queen was grateful, and she gave him many of her riches. The king, in verse 12, made of the almug trees supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. Such almug trees have not come in again, nor have they been seen to this day. King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire, which she requested besides what he gave her according to his royal bounty. Then she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. Let's read one more account of these events. Uh, a short account we'll read in 2 Chronicles 9, verse 3. 2 Chronicles 9, 3. What's great about you know, these different accounts of the same events is the wording is slightly different. And you can sometimes appreciate things, um, understand what was going on a little better. Second Chronicles 9.3 When the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. 
Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. So on the board, our attitude towards wisdom. Nothing compares to possessing God's wisdom and actually understanding God. Nothing can give you happiness and contentment like this possession. It's the one thing we should seek at possessing as opposed to the objects in this world. Again, nothing compares to possessing God's wisdom and actually understanding God. For example, if a man truly possesses God's wisdom, he will not fear. If a man truly possesses God's wisdom, he will not fear. Why? Because he understands the Lord and his ways. Like he truly understands. He understands how the Lord thinks. He understands the Lord's faithfulness, the Lord's love, etc., etc. And only understanding God gives us peace. Really. In the end. And that's why we're here. That's, that should be why we're here. That clarity of mind and soul is what man really desires. He doesn't know it many times. And that is what will make a man happy regardless of outward circumstances. So, again, an another question on the table. What's your attitude about finding the wisdom of God? Right now we only have a small piece of it. It is infinite. So do you believe in your heart that it's better than the finest gold? As both Solomon and the Queen of Sheba knew in experience. And the books of Proverbs and Psalms, for example, tell us. Do you believe in your heart that it's better than the finest gold? From our recent series on the Lord is our confidence on the board. The value of wisdom. Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? It's between each of us and the Lord, but I'll tell you one thing. The Spirit is harping on this. Is He not? He is honest on this. He's like, I don't want your religious games, you know. Don't make sacrifices and think that's what makes me happy. What makes me happy is if you love me. You realize what I did for you and you love me. And appreciate me. Just like any good parent would desire. Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? Matthew 13, 44 through 46. We've seen that several times. And Luke 5, uh, Luke 11, 5 through 10. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 11, verse 5. This question is between each of us and the Lord. Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? We might say, do you really want to know God? Luke 11, 5. 
And he, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Can you just see the scene like playing out in a movie or something? It's a, a funny scene. A guy gets up out of bed frustrated after the fifth knock and says, here, take all my bread, right? Close the door. That persistence of our hearts to know God, that's what God is after. So Jesus says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Remember what's in view here is persistent seeking. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you will have God's wisdom. Do you want that? Do you want to know him with a godly eagerness, let's say? Today, my dog was going a little uh, crazy. He kind of does it every day. Uh, He knows when I'm putting my sneakers on in the morning. After reading, after studying, he can hear the sneakers come out. And he starts jumping up and down thinking he's going for a walk. And I plan today on going for a bike ride. That's part of my regiment, right? My, my exercise, my better to ride than walk, right? Good exercise, a real exercise day. He was so persistent that I went for a walk with him. If a dog can do that, right? Dogs give us a lot of good visual aids, don't they? A lot of teaching. <laughs> but it's that type of eagerness and persistence that God is after. And he'll test us. He'll test us. Are you still going to come after me even though I haven't showed you this or that yet? Right? What do you seek? Like Jesus said to the first two disciples, why are you following me? What's the real reason? He didn't just say come along, did he? So, a lot to think about. Do you want to know God with a uh, godly eagerness? If not, if that's honestly not in your heart right now, if you're struggling, pray for wisdom in that area. Pray for God to change the attitude of your heart. And the prayer made in humility will be answered by our Lord. So as we wrap up this series, let's see what wisdom herself has to say. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8. 
can't believe we only have 10 minutes left already. It seemed like it flew by up here. Some of you are like, yeah, well, it seems like an hour down here. Sorry. Proverbs 8. Wisdom is personified as she in Proverbs. Proverbs 8.1. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. So there's the call for us to be honest, all of us, about how foolish we are without God and that we need his help. Again, verse 5. This is for all of us. O naive ones, understand prudence. And O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Look at verse 10. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Hopefully, we all now agree with that statement wholeheartedly. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. Stop there for a second. We talked about the word understanding earlier, right? I am understanding. Power is mine. Do you remember how we started in 1 Corinthians 1? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. There's a capstone statement for this series, if any. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than the choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, 
before the hills I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there, wisdom. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him as a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All who hate me, wisdom, love death. Some <laughs> things that can't be described in that chapter. Some wonderful capstones for us, like verse 35. But we're going to go on and we're going to close with chapter 9. This is wisdom's invitation. Wisdom goes on. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer will, uh, gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. In other words, she's trying to lure in those who are seeking wisdom. Whoever is naive, she says, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Watch out for the liar. Watch out for the temptress. Watch out for the world's wisdom. The world's going to call to us 
as an angel of light and say, come this way. This is the right way to do it. If you leave the wisdom of the word of God, we're, we're all going to be deceived by a false version, a counterfeit version. So let's listen to the instruction from wisdom that we just read about. And we'll close on this point, our attitude towards wisdom. It's only through the right attitude and humility towards wisdom that we can be delivered. That's what we just saw in Proverbs 8 and 9. You want deliverance? You want to truly be delivered from misery, from self-pity, from bitterness, from envy, from, you know, we can go on and on, right? From all the things that we do to ourselves, you want to be delivered? It's only through the right attitude and humility towards wisdom that we can and will be delivered. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you again so much for your word. It is truly amazing and so rich, and we ask that you open our eyes, open our eyes and our hearts to understand these things and to truly seek your wisdom with a humble heart. Father, we know we need your help, and we come before you right now for that. We ask that you change us from the inside out, even changing our motivation. And we ask that you help us seek you for the right reasons, out of love for all you have done for us. We ask these things in the name of our precious Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.